uh, a series in the book of Acts. And we've titled this series, Thy Kingdom Come, God's Mission to the World. The book of Acts is about God's mission to the world. It's the story of the power of God working through His community, the church. Uh, And if you've been here, then you've seen that this community that God forms is made up of a bunch of nobodies. Uh, No major power players in society. No one with a grand sum of money. No one holding positions of power. We've seen in this nobody community how God was changing the world. That this community was birthed at Pentecost, and even at the face, in the face of persecution and opposition, this community was growing quickly. And we pick up in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. And I'm going to ask you to stand as our custom, as at the reading of God's word this morning. This is God's word to us this morning. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Isaiah 40 tells us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray again. God, bless your word. Remove me. God, may Jesus and your purposes be seen. And may you change us this morning because you, you have spoken. So speak, we pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, the one who gets to preach, be pleasing to you. And may you change us, God. May you breathe life into us, O oh God. May we be filled up this morning. May we may be made more like you as Christians, and may we be made more like you as your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, I don't know if you've seen the nationwide commercial where the children are acting like grown-ups. You've seen that where one child is waiting in line at the DMV. Uh, one little child is ordering dinner at a, a restaurant. Uh, another's using their cell phone. And I, I really enjoy watching children pretend to be grown-ups. Uh, whether that's a little boy dressing up like his dad or a little girl imitating her mom or a little girl dreaming of getting married when she grows up or a little boy wearing a tool belt around his waist acting like he's going to fix the, the house uh, with his parents. Right? As children, we all dreamed about what it would be like when we grew up. We all dreamed. Now, good parents let their children dream about growing up. Don't they? They, they don't shatter their dreams with the reality that growing up is actually hard uh, and painful at times, that working a job is hard, that marriage can be difficult, worrying about having enough money to pay your bills 
is frightening. That growing up means having more responsibilities. It means learning how to transition through different stages as you grow up. Now, some parents may say, or at least want to say to their children who are dreaming of growing up, hey, hey kid, you have no idea what it's like to grow up. You have no idea what it's like to deal with grown-up problems. Right, but we call those parents mean. <laughs> those are mean and killing their children's dreams. But when a person grows up, there are often problems that arise. Responsibilities that increase. Transitions to figure out in each new stage of life. But it is incredibly beautiful to watch a child grow up into adulthood. The same thing could be said for a company that started all companies that start out start by dreaming about what their company might be in 50 years and the growing up that will need to happen to accomplish that dream. And companies experience problems as they grow, transitions in each new stage of growth, shifting of responsibilities by employees. But it's a beautiful thing to see a company grow from a startup to a mature company. And the church of Jesus Christ is no different. Verses 1 and verse 7 in Acts chapter 6 says that the church was growing, was increasing in number. And we've seen throughout this book of Acts that the church was birthed, launched, and it's been growing rapidly ever since. And in the midst of the growth, there have been problems of persecution, of dishonesty. Acts chapter 6 shows us more problems and difficulties that arise as the church grows up. But this church is also beautiful as it matures and it lives out the life of being the church together. I love how God brings his timely word to us personally and corporately. I think God's done that for you before. I found many of these passages in Acts to hit me at just the right time. And this passage was no different. Uh, I believe this is a very timely passage for us as a church. As we've experienced growth in one year being together. And there will be problems that will arise for us as a church. Transitions uh, that we will go through. Responsibilities that will need to shift. But there is a beauty that can be displayed if we grow up. And we live like the church God calls us to be, in which we see here in Acts chapter 6. We're going to look at three potential problems that could arise in growing up. And the corresponding beauty that, can, that we can display as we grow up and if we grow up. So let's look at the first potential problem. Potential problem number one, growing in diversity. Growing in diversity. Look at verse 1. It says that a complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. The church is growing. It's moving. There's healing. They're on mission. There's a movement of power. And now there's complaining, murmuring, discontent. I love that the Bible does not try to hide the difficulties within the church. The struggles within, the problems as they arise. The Bible does not whitewash and gloss over the reality that the church can be a messy and difficult place. Welcome to the church. 
Welcome to Christ Central Church. We're no exception. If you've not experienced complaining and difficulty, problems that, that could arise, it will happen within our church. Because we are a community of saints and sinners. So the complaint that arises in verse 1 is actually a valid complaint. And it arises because of the diversity that is now represented within the community of the early church. The first thing we see about this diversity is that there is a diversity in culture. Again, in verse 1, there are Hellenists and Hebraic Jews. Hellenists and Hebraic Jews. Hebraic Jews were from Jerusalem. They spoke Aramaic. They were culturally conservative. All of the apostles were Hebraic Jews. And then there are Hellenist Jews. Those were those from the Jewish dispersion who had traveled to Jerusalem for this festival called Pentecost, were converted to faith in Christ. And these Hellenists lived in varying major cities. They spoke Greek and they were culturally progressive. So this community here in the early church, this, this is like taking a community of people from rural eastern North Carolina farming community, culturally conservative, and combining them with a community of progressive foodie Durhamites, right? That's what's happening here. And then the complaint arises that the Hebrew widows are being cared for better than the Hellenist widows. The complaint is cultural discrimination. So there's a diversity in culture. We also see a diversity in class. The widows are being neglected. The widows, they were the most needy, the most vulnerable in society. Most of these widows had left their families in becoming Christians, and now they're dependent on the church to provide for their needs. And there are those within this community of the early church that have incredible means and resources. And we have seen throughout Acts, which is reflected again here in chapter 6, that the Christian church is a community made up of extreme diversity. Different culturally and different socioeconomically. Diversity has always been a distinctive of the church of Jesus Christ. You know what the question that everyone asks when they walk into a new social setting or a new community gathering? You know what the question is? Maybe you're a first time guest at Christ Central this morning. Maybe you asked it as you came in this morning. Let me tell you what the question is. Who here is like me? Who here is like me? Where are the people like me? Everyone enters into a new community and looks for the people that dress like me, have the same interest as me, looks like me, talks like me. It's the way the world operates. We look for people like me. But the church has always been a place that welcomes all different types of people, a diversity of people. Because if we understand the gospel, it's not people's dress or interest or looks or language that makes them most like me. It's that they're created in the image of God like me. Struggling sinner like me. In need of Jesus like me. The church should be a place where diversity is expressed. And and let's just be honest. When you put people from different cultures and different socioeconomic classes, and the church is growing in numbers and growing in this type of diversity, there are going to be difficulties. 
and problems and tensions. I mean, it's hard enough to put people who love UNC and Duke and North Carolina Central all together, right? Especially after last night. There are going to be tensions just around basketball. But you put Asian and African American and Hispanic and African and white together, there are more differences than just basketball. You get differences in language, differences uh, in uh, style, difference in what people think is cool, right? And make those people Christians. And all of a sudden you have differences of what community should look like or what's, what worship should look like or maybe how schooling your children should look, right? There's going to be differences all across the board. And you put together Republican and Democrat and Libertarian, there are going to be differences, right? You put people who own businesses and people who don't have a job together, there will be differences. I mean, you put together an Auburn graduate as a pastor and an Alabama graduate as a pastor, there are differences, right? And a potential problem for the church, a potential problem, is growing in diversity. But with this growth, there is a beauty that can be displayed. The beauty is when we're a family made up of diversity. When we love one another genuinely in our differences. As Christ Central Church grows, and Lord willing, we grow in our diversity, there will be opportunity after opportunity for complaining and for grumbling and for criticizing. There will be the temptation for you to think that your way is the right way, and it may just be a cultural preference. There will be a temptation for you to hang around people that are the same as you, right? people like me. There will be the temptation to envy people that are different than you. There will be a temptation to have fraction and division and even backbiting with a small comment here and a small comment there. And our enemy, Satan, wants nothing more than for us to be divided. So Christ Central, we have to be vigilant to love one another across our differences. We have to love people that are different than us. Learn about other cultures and classes. We have to be honest. We have to ask questions. And it's going to be messy. And it's going to be hard. But it can be beautiful. Almost two years ago, Rachel and Timothy and myself uh, attended a two-day seminar on racial equity uh, based, uh, put on by the Racial Equity Institute out of Greensboro, North Carolina. And uh, I'd recommend anybody going to this, by the way. But on the first day, they asked everyone to say what they liked about being a part of their race. Uh, and, and so uh, they asked, what do you like about being black? What do you like about being Hispanic? What do you like about being white? And, and, and uh, the black and Hispanic people said things like this. We love our music. We love our hair. We love our love for family. We love our food. And the white people had a really, really hard time of coming up with things they liked about being white. Seriously. And the things that they said were not necessarily cultural. or much more privilege than culture. And I realized a few things in our exercise. There weren't things necessarily I never thought about, but it came out in this exercise. Other races have rich cultures that they are very proud of and quickly identify with. And white people, because we are often the majority culture, are unaware of cultural differences 
Because we have the luxury of having the culture shaped toward us. And I also realized with that privilege, being the majority culture, that one of two things can happen with the white majority. Paternalism and criticalness toward other cultures. Now, criticalness can happen with any culture to another culture, but it can happen for a white, the white majority. And the second thing, white guilt. It's huge and it drives many of us. The reality, because we sat, we sat there and we all of a sudden started feeling a lot of guilt. So there can be a lot of white guilt, and I know that drives many of you. The reality is that ethnic and socioeconomic differences are real. They are real, and they're multi-layered and complex. But it is a beautiful thing when we can live as a family in the midst of our diversity. And thank God that there are cultural differences and class differences in our church right now. But may he give us more of it. And may we continue to grow in our diversity. Now let me just say to those of you who feel like you're in the minority in our church. Be it racially, be it socioeconomically, politically, even stage of life. If we are going to be a beautiful, loving family of diversity, we need you. We need you. We need you to stay. We need you to get plugged in. We need you to be a vital part of our family. Please know you're not just welcome. You are wanted and needed. As the church grows up, there's the potential problem of growing in diversity. And there's a potential problem, number two, of growing in needs. Growing in needs. The complaint that arises is the Hellenist widows are being neglected. The Hellenist widows were probably cut off from their families when they became Christians, cut off from the temple system of money distribution when they became Christians. And so they have no system to take care of them. They're in need. And the apostles say, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now you could read that and, and think, wow, are the apostles being elitist? They think they're better than this? Like they're not going to serve tables? But the apostles are not saying we're too good to serve tables. What's happened is that the church has grown so quickly that there are so many needs and the apostles are finding themselves trying to do too much and they don't want to neglect the preaching of God's word, which was their primary calling. See, this is an issue of calling. The apostles have been called to preach the word of God. Therefore, an appointment of seven men whose primary calling is to help those in need. See, caring for the widow was not beneath the apostles. It's just so important that there are leaders specifically called to oversee and lead in this area of need. This is where we get the office of deacon. The, though these seven aren't necessarily appointed as deacons, that official office comes later. But we do see this, that ministering to the most vulnerable and the most needy is so important that people are appointed with this as their primary calling. When the church grows, there will be ever-increasing needs. We're experiencing this right now as a church. And so I want to draw two implications for us uh, this morning out of this point. The first is this. No one person can do all the work of the church. No one person is superman. Though, and this is true for me, it's true for Timothy and pastors, myself included. 
can often fall into the trap of thinking that we have to be superhuman, that we have to attempt to do everything perfectly, that pastors have to be expert theologians and expert entrepreneurs and business strategists and sociologists and literary and cultural critics, prayer warriors, therapists, CFOs. We have to do it all, right? But we're not alone in our faulty thinking of grandiosity. Many of you can fall prey into thinking that you have to be all things to all people and you feel yourself being stretched in so many ways. We have to realize we cannot do it all. And God doesn't want us to to attempt to do it all. He's the hero of the kingdom, not us. He's the victor of the kingdom, not us. He will build his church and he just happens to use us. And many of us, I'm in this. Many of us need to repent of our self-righteousness where we think we have what God has always longed for. We need to repent of thinking we're that five-star recruit that God's always wanted to sign to get on his team. We're not the rock star. We're not the hero. He is. No one is Superman. But this doesn't mean we sit around and do nothing. Which leads me to my second implication. God wants to use every single one of us. Every single one of you, God wants all in for his kingdom. The growth of the church created a problem. All these needs were arising. But the beauty of the church is when there is a division of labor. And people are being used in their gifts and in their callings. In the church... The pastor is not the only one who has a job. You do too. Every single member of the church is called to be a minister. Every member a minister. It's what 1 Peter references as the priesthood of all believers. Everyone in the church has a role and responsibilities. Every single person is called to pitch in and shoulder the work of the church. You're growing up in, in the Mason Household, there was a division of labor. Uh, I would vacuum, I'd cut the grass, my older brother would uh, take out the trash and he'd wash the cars. My parents would work their jobs and pay the bills and provide food. And everyone had a role in our family, everyone had a part to play. The church is the same way. Every one of you has specific gifts. Every one of you have specific callings that must be used if we're going to be the church God wants us to be. You see, the work of the church is a team effort. It's not an individual sport. (laughs) It's a team effort. What kind of teammate are you? What kind of teammate are you? You There was an article in the Duke student paper this week about Rashid Suleiman. Uh, Suleiman was... Uh, the first Duke player, basketball player to ever be kicked off a Coach K basketball team. And the complete story hasn't been revealed, but we do know this, that Coach K let him go because he was a distraction to the team. He was not a good teammate. He was doing more damage than he was helping the team. What kind of teammate are you? Let me ask uh, you a question to help you evaluate what kind of teammate you are. If you stopped coming to church, how impoverished would we be? If you stopped coming to our church, would we suffer 
from you not coming. Can I be honest for a moment? And I promise you that I am not being manipulative here. You can ask Timothy and you can ask my wife Rachel that one of my greatest fears uh, as a pastor is burning people out, hurting people, because this has happened to me, burning people out and hurting people because the church puts people to work, that Christ Central would put you to work, abuse you for the sake of our own name in the city and our own reputation, and we would not care and shepherd and love you. And so I pray may the Lord always protect us as a church from doing that. I pray that all the time. But let me be honest. We need you to pitch in and to shoulder the work of the church with us. We need your gifts. We need your calling in this church and in the city. We need you to volunteer. We need you to lead city groups. We need you to serve on servant teams. We need you to care for one another and love one another. We have grown quickly as a church plant. And as pastors, we are feeling like we have little margin. We can't do it all. And we don't need to act like we can do it all. That's a temptation. We need you. We need you. I love seeing people in our church step up and fill the gap when there's a need. I love seeing people willing to lead and willing to serve. I love seeing Alan Brown come here on a Sunday morning and be excited to put out Bibles in the pews. I love seeing JR come and be excited to be an usher. And Miss Beverly and Jimmy serving communion. I love having Melinda and Cheryl freely volunteer their time. I love having many of you lead in city group and host city group and serve and, and love our children. I love meeting with our hospitality and our creative and social teams this past week. And I don't love it because, because it means I don't have to work. I love it because it means we are being the church together. And when that happens, when we are the church together, it really does free me up to do what I'm primarily called to do, which is verse 4. Preach the word and pray and shepherd the people. So when the church grows, there will be increasing needs. The beauty is when we live like a family and we're all in. Every single one of you, all in for the sake of God's kingdom. Can I point out two things about the people who were appointed to help with the widows in the daily distribution? The first thing we see is that they were people of character and people full of the Spirit. They were people full of humility, full of the Spirit, not full of themselves. <laughs> people who loved and served not to be seen, but to honor God. And secondly, those appointed were Hellenists. If you caught that, the apostles were Hebraic Jews. The Hellenist widows were being neglected, so they appoint seven who were mostly Hellenists. The group that's being discriminated against is the one who is empowered to meet their own need. Now, I could preach a whole sermon on that. We need you, every single one of you, your gifts, your callings, your passions, but we need a you that is humble and full of God's Spirit. Not full of yourself, thinking you're God's gift to the church. We've seen potential problems of growing diversity, potential problem of growing needs. Let's look at the last potential problem when the church grows up. It's the potential problem of forgetting word and deed. Forgetting word and deed. Look at verse 7, which is a summary statement really for kind of chapters 1 through 6. It says, the word of God continued to increase. 
And the number of the disciples multiplied, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The reason the church is growing in Acts is because there is both the word of God being preached and deeds of mercy and justice being administered. And a potential problem with any one person or with any church is to begin to think that there can be one of those without the other. Either a church is all deeds of justice with no word of God being preached or a church is all word of God being preached and no deeds of justice. If you've ever rolled your ankle, uh, maybe broke your ankle or hurt your leg or knee in some, some way, it's really hard to stand and to get around on only one healthy leg, isn't it? Uh, standing, walking, running, it's much easier with two healthy legs. Throughout Acts, we have seen that a healthy church has two legs of word and deed. Word and deed. And it is beautiful when the church lives in light of both of these. Verse 7 says that the word of God increases. The word of God increases. Luke, the author, writes the word of God. Not the church increases, but the word of God. And that's important and it's intentional. Because the agent of growth in the church is God's word. It has the power to change lives. And a church without the word of God being faithfully preached is either just a social club, a service organization, or a political activist group. Word of God preached. Secondly, verse 7 also says that a great many priests became obedient to the faith. I've never seen this before until I studied this passage more in depth. This is also very intentional and very important by uh, Luke the author. You see, many of the Jewish priests were being converted to faith in Jesus Christ. One scholar notes that the priest, being very acquainted with the Old Testament, put much hope in Deuteronomy chapter 15. And Deuteronomy chapter 15 speaks of the salvation of God being made visible in the caring of the poor. In particular, caring for widows. So the priests were being converted because of the way they saw the church caring for the poor and the needy. This is the salvation that they had always longed for. And now they saw in the followers of Jesus Christ. So they converted. Listen to this. The Roman Emperor Julian, writing in the 4th century, regretted the progress of Christianity because it pulled so many people away from the Roman gods at this time. And he said this. Julian did. The Christian faith has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans, Christians, care not only for their own poor but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render them. You know, one of the main reasons the early church grew in such an explosive way in the first few centuries, even in the face of persecution, because of the way they cared for the least of these and the vulnerable and the needy. Malcolm Muggeridge was a British journalist, also a British spy. He was extremely cynical about life and about religion, not a Christian, and he wrote about such things. 
But in 1969, Malcolm was asked by BBC to, to film a documentary on Mother Teresa. And at first, Mother Teresa resisted, and her church insisted, so she said, okay, let's make something beautiful then for God. And so Malcolm spent months in the projects with Mother Teresa. And it was through watching her service to the weakest and the neediest that this man became a Christian. He was converted. We must care about deeds of mercy and justice. We must care for the least of these and the marginalized and the needy because it's God's heartbeat. It's God's heart for his people to do so. But also because God uses our deeds to draw people to himself, to draw people to faith in Christ. Christ Central, Durham needs us to be a church that is passionate about word and deed. Durham needs a healthy church standing on two good legs. And we have an opportunity to be beautiful as we love word and deed. God's been gracious to us. Just a little over a year old as a church. And we're growing. We've just begun our second year. And there's a lot to be excited about. A lot. But there will be problems that arise. And they can either be opportunities for complaining and for division and open doors for the enemy to cause friction. Or they can be opportunities for us to grow up as a church and to be a family that loves in the midst of diversity. A family where every member is a minister, all work for the glory of God. And a family that preaches and holds high the beautiful news of God's word. And we live out deeds of justice and mercy. Amen? Let's pray for that. God, I ask that you would make us this type of church. God, we can't make, we can't make it happen. We can't manufacture it. We need you to do it. And it's going to be hard. Being a community of diversity is hard. God, teach us and give us humility to, to be able to do that, to love well. And God, there are already so many needs arising within our church. May we be that that community that rises up. Lord, the, the picture we see in Ezekiel of a valley of dry bones, the bones rattling and coming to life, would Christ Central Church be that church that comes to life and marches forward for the sake of your kingdom here in Durham and around the world? And would we always hold tightly your word in living out deeds of justice and mercy? Make us this type of church, a true church. <laughs> the true church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, every week we get to come to...